The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. Thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the, fir- the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house dollar lot program because the house will be built from the ground up. For the individual citizen, as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the street scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to. They straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the the, the lightning rod in this nation. Because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design we've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness let there be no doubt justice delayed is justice denied hello baltimore welcome to a special edition of the call tyrone show 
And I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boast. And with me today is, if you listen to any of the older shows, um, uh, maybe 2016, when I, before I left the air for a while, for a hiatus, um, you would have known that I had two millennials beside me. And um, these, these, these millennials are now quite accomplished young men. Uh, one of them is in the uh, studio with me today. His name is uh, Zachary Leacock. He's a very, a, <laughs> a, he's a now a professional in the Baltimore area, very urbane young man and very intelligent, very intelligent. I appreciate it. Good morning, Baltimore. Okay. The other one was a, a gentleman by the name, these were my, my uh, millennial gangsters. An, another one was a, a gentleman uh, named uh, uh, Le- Leroy. Yeah. Leroy Myers. Leroy Myers, yes. He's, um, I was trying to remember what he, the, the, um, he's working on his PhD in Oklahoma. Yep. Oh, and, no, uh, Native American and African American studies. Right, the intersection of Native American and yep. African American studies, which is very serious stuff. So these guys are a lot smarter than I could ever hope to be. Um, <laughs> and they, they helped me get started. Uh, and, 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 uh, this gentleman is so busy today, um, that, uh, he, I mean, and, and he's so busy now that, Today's Labor Day, which is a holiday to celebrate uh, being off work, basically. <laughs> the holiday, I think it was starting like 1882, and it was basically people just said, hey, we're going to take off work, and we're going to celebrate the fact that we're workers, period. And if the, if the uh, people, it was like a strike, sort of, um, that they, they, they did in New York. And um, they just had a day off to celebrate the dignity of, of the workers. Because um, before, uh, and we're going to talk about this later, before the labor unions uh, became very powerful in this country, you didn't have a lot of rights um, on the jobs. You know, if you enjoy Saturday and Sunday off, okay, you can thank the labor unions. The, the uh, companies didn't do, just give that out on the kind of their heart. You know, if, and uh, the other things the labor unions fought for was um, uh, they fought against child labor. And by by uh, child labor, is not what you're thinking about with the summer jobs and everything. You're 14. No. Child labor back then was you're 10 years old and you're working in a mine. Okay. Or, or some similar, you're handling um, big batches of, of molten steel and you're in these factories and they're unclean unsafe and you're getting killed from time to time and they had incidents where, where a massive amounts of children were killed in factories and industries in this country before the um, labor uh, union took um, charge of their safety ensured that they were able to get health care and all the things that the, the people that ran the company were able to get and um, so you know up till 1970 as the the uh, the payrolls rose for CEOs, so did it rise for um, the uh, the worker, because the labor unions assured that. And, um, you know, they were uncontestable. They were very powerful. And I think their last stand, actually, was when Ronald Reagan fired the, uh, the uh, oh, God, he fired the um, air traffic controllers. That's the last time they had to stand up and say, look, we're not taking this. You're going to hire everybody. we shut this country down. we take all these workers back. Because people have been brainwashed to believe that labor unions are bad. And just about every perk you got on your job right now was at the behest of a labor union, if you're not in one, you know, because people will try to keep you on the job um, by by giving you perks that the labor unions um, and keep the labor union out of the workplace by giving you perks the labor unions already offer to their people. So, and I saw that when I was in a, I was in a union, now, um, a professional union, when I was w- working for other people. And um, they made sure we had health care. They made sure we had uh, a livable wage. In fact, they wanted you to make enough money where your wife didn't have to work if she didn't want to. Okay, so I, when I left there, I was making about thirty-five dollars an hour, you know. And we had medical; we had some of the best medical in the country. Well, because I was any better than anybody else, it's because the the union could engage in what's called collective bargaining and ensure 
that I had those rights because why shouldn't you have the right to health care? I mean, let's just think about why is there anybody in this country more better than you that they're that they're more entitled to health care than you are? So we we got to get away from the type of thinking that uh, <laughs> that um you know that that's lowering us down the path where we've only had a four percent increase in our wages, the middle class, since nineteen since nineteen seventy three, while the CEOs have had a four hundred percent increase, and in the four hundred uh, the um, the um, Fortune five hundred companies, the CEOs have had a nine hundred percent increase in their wages, while ours in the middle class have just gone up four percent. So you see, you see how it be con these people aren't that important where they, you know, they deserve that much more money than you're making. Trust me. All right. And a lot of them, a lot of the wages now are made from investing in the markets. And um, as Warren Buffett put it, you know, just because I can fool around the market a little better than, you know, the next guy don't mean I'm more important than a, a brain surgeon, you know, so, but still I'll take the money. So, right. Yeah. So and also the um, also with that limited increase of four percent, the uh, the inflation rate uh, is about I think about two percent every year. So the, the the value of your dollar actually uh, devalues while you're holding on to that money. So you're actually making less over time um, because you're not getting those those wages. Right. And um, so we've uh, um, well, we're going to talk about that a little later. Um, and we're going to explore that a little more extensively, and we'll show you how it actually, this unfettered capitalism that we're having right now is actually a threat to democracy because they actually control the politicians and everything else because they have so much money to do so. And uh, it's the wealth is just unbelievable. We're going to clean house real quick. We have some house cleaning issues. Last um, uh, last uh, week we, we, we hit on how the um, the uh, – CIA and the various agencies were complicit in, in uh, bringing dumping drugs in our neighborhood and all that. Um, and we talked about the band, Black Panthers for a minute. And and I said I said I was I need to correct myself. I said the, the Black Panther Party fed three hundred people during a heyday. That's incorrect. The back the Black Panther Party fed three hundred thousand poor people. Three hundred thousand poor people during their heyday. So I just want to make sure you know by me speaking so fast sometimes I my my uh, mouth is going faster than my brain, and uh, I apologize for that. Um, so, and, the, and another thing was, uh, we were talking about, um, how sometimes you can't always trust government agencies. And the reason why a lot of people, you know, uh, feel, especially in the black community, feel that the, that the, um, law enforcement has been used against us historically. Right now, what I want to do is I want to talk about how the, um, FBI, we have a tape of the FBI actually bribing Malcolm X. And bear in mind when you hear this tape, that um, it's a real tape. It's not. It's not um, an actor Denzel Washington playing Malcolm. X. It is Malcolm X's voice. And bear in mind, at this time Malcolm X is, had already been ousted by the Nation of Islam, and um, uh, um, him and Elijah Muhammad were already at odds with each other. And they had already, the, the, you know, he had his house bombed and some other things were going on. So he really had no um, reason to protect them. But this is the this this tape will tell you two things. It'll tell you about black leadership. And it'll tell you about um, the duplicity of our government when they're investigating people. So, listen in. Next, the FBI in color. Money brings out uh, 
the information. I know intent to insult you here. According to Dillon, uh, what's his name? The Secretary of Treasury? This, uh, the money, this government's money is in such trouble. Until, you can still spend it. <laughs> still, according to uh, your government economist, the dollar itself is in such trouble. A person would be a fool to sell his soul for one of these decreasing dollars. Oh, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. You'd be a fool to sell your soul if the dollar was increasing. Uh, this has nothing to do with selling your soul. I mean, if you look at it that way, okay. Yeah, but depends on how you look at it. Sure. You insult my intelligence when they, not only they insult me, period, but they think I would tell them anything. But uh, it, it, would, uh, it would be good, and I think uh, in, in many ways it might uh, might be of some benefit to your organization, you know, if, yes. if in fact we can eliminate people. There's no government agency. It can never expect any information out of me that's in any way detrimental to any religious group or black group, for that matter, in this country. No government agent. Because they should use that same energy to go and find who bombed that church down there in Alabama. Now, that was the actual voice of uh, Malcolm, the late, great Malcolm X. And you can see the degree of integrity of the man because he could have just took that money. Malcolm X had no reason to believe that these tapes would ever get out. But he could have just simply took the money and, you know, gave us, them as much information on churches or whatever they wanted. And uh, he decided that it wasn't worth it. He's not selling the soul for this stuff. If we had <laughs> black leaders with one-tenth the integrity or one-hundredth of the integrity of Malcolm X, we'd be in a lot better place now than where, where we are now. So you see how these leaders were, were uh, more powerful back in those days and the dangers they faced because... When, when we talked about Dr. King being um, uh, bribed by the, um, uh, not bribed, but, but sent a letter to commit suicide by the FBI, Dr. King was getting 50 death threats a day, okay? Imagine that. You're getting 50 death threats a day, and one of them's coming from the FBI. So who, who the hell are you going to go to for help? You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of pressure, a lot of courage. And the thing about Rosa Parks, when she, as, as, as uh, mundane as that seemed, her not giving up a seat. There was no guarantee that she wouldn't be lynched for that. They were lynching people for less than back in those days. And they were lynching people who complained about lynching people. So that was a very courageous thing to do. And a lot of people don't understand the courageousness it took to stand up. And, uh, okay, Reverend Ray, I see you, but let me uh, continue on. We're going to I'll get you in a minute. Just, just hold tight. Um, so uh, this, okay, uh, this weekend there was a shooting, okay? And um, it was a police-involved shooting. And uh, and and I was reading the article, and it seems to me that some is trying to play up like uh, Baltimore is more violent than it's ever been. Uh, probably justify the justification, coming justification, and all that. But as I said before, if you look at the uh, murder rates for nineteen from nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety, they topped three hundred each year. So this is having last year's murder rate was three hundred nine, and I'm not excusing this; it's still too damn high. And uh, uh, it needs to stop. It really needs to stop. However, causing people to panic. I remember uh, with the um, Omnibus Crime Bill, for instance, they they caused people to panic to the point where they went to Congress and demanded the Omnibus Crime Bill. And I, again, I see history repeating itself. And what the Omnibus Crime Bill did, they, they, they asked for jobs, jobs training, prisons, and they asked for law enforcement. They got the prisons and law enforcement. But guess what? They didn't get the jobs and the jobs training because you won't get that unless you demand it. So um, what ended up happening is they didn't realize that the police, that, that there are racist police out here, even back then in the 90s, 
and uh, they would use those policies against black people. And that's what happened. You had 95% of people being arrested for marijuana being black. And um, the fact of the matter is, they were more... They would, they, the purpose of the Armistice Crime Bill was to stop the violent crime. But there were more arrests for simple marijuana possession than all the violent crimes combined. Okay, so... And now marijuana is, uh, you know, legal in, I think, 11 states and, you know, and decriminalized in, like, like 22 or something like that, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, so you cause all this hardship and taking people's fathers, put them in jail for something as, you know, that's now legal. I believe that you have to make that person whole. If you're going to let somebody out of jail because you're on them, you got to make them whole, find them a job or give them some type of training situation and give them an opportunity. Don't just set them out on the street and say, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Let me dust you off a little bit. I mean, sorry about that. My bad. You know, because the fact of the matter was when white people got caught with marijuana possession, they were they were let go or they wouldn't even search. Or when at the same time, if your son would got caught, oh, I smell marijuana. And that's enough to search the car. I smell marijuana. And so they searched the car, throw them on the ground for a joint and locked them up. And that's what happened for the most part. People not being able to understand how laws can be used against you. Okay, so and and uh, again, they had a, they had a police uh, shootout, and what um, what it says here is I'm reading from some paper. And this is uh, the Baltimore Sun, August thirty first. It's Saturday, and um, it's it says here a blink of eye, Ray Mayer went from bystander waiting for the light to change on Fayette Street to an injured casualty caught in a clash between Baltimore police and a man. They say took a shot at the police. The way this reads, you're think I'm thinking that the man shot the woman, but I kept reading it over and over, but it doesn't say that. So to me, after I found out what a further investigation, it seems to me that the police actually shot. And I'll, I'll explain to you why in a minute. And um, nobody, nobody should be shooting at the police. And if you shoot at the police, you, they have every right to shoot you. You know, I don't have a problem with that. But I mean, experience has told us that you can't always rely on the on the uh, um, the word of the police without cameras. Unfortunately, and they they taught us that themselves. So it says. Tyrone Banks, 30, firing what appears to be dozens. Okay, moments after the first shots and about a block away, police caught up with Tyrone Banks, 30 years old, firing what appears to be dozens of shots into a silver SUV and killing him. The 51-year-old woman remains at John Hobbs. Now, the police said that she had minor injuries, but the family said that um, she had a neck wound, and that was not minor to me, and a hand wound, and she was under the surgery. And they had to find her themselves. The police didn't tell her where she was at. So that when you start stuff don't start adding up for me, I get suspicious for some reason because it's it's, it's real hard. I'm not saying the boys are lying, but I do know it's hard to make a lie sound like the truth. Okay, because it's, you get to involve too many inconsistencies. So why did you tell the woman, you know, that you know where I mean, or her family where she was at, you know, so they could support her in recovery, et cetera? And then the, of course, the thing is, it was for her own safety. Okay, so I mean, let's just say that was. Um, the case, and and so the the, the thing that, that got me was when they were saying that uh, I'm trying to find the quote. Uh, just bear with me a minute. There was a quote in the paper. Oh, haters! It said further down. It says Sergeant Claude Boatwright, president of the city schools police union and vice president of the state fraternal order of police, said said this. Let's stop. Handcuffing the police. Let's let's not look at how we can limit their effectiveness. 
let's promote that same kind of t- type of energy to stopping violent criminals. Okay, so let's listen to this clip about the police involved shooting and see if um, if we're handcuffing the police. This is just you listen to it and you tell me. If, go ahead, um, Jason. The police involved shooting. And this is what actually happened by a bystander who was filming on her f- a cell phone camera. What's the number? Number thirty-eight. Number thirty-eight. Get yeah, it real blurry. I'm- oh my god! Oh my god! This it! This it! I don't hear a bird. I don't hear. So that was the actual uh, event unfolding, and uh, that was courtesy of a young lady who actually filmed the event. Um, and from what I can make out, and I'm not going to second guess the police on this one. Like I said, if you shoot at the police, <laughs> you deserve to get shot at. You deserve what you get. Now, um, so you, if you don't want to get shot at the police, don't shoot at them. <laughs> you know, self-defense. Anybody can understand that. But um, I don't see where um, we're... we're um, Stopping, I mean, we're, we're um, hampering the police's ability to, uh, or handcuffing the police in any way. Not based on that. Yeah, that didn't sound, uh, <laughs> that was very difficult, you know, and shocking to see and listen to. And, um, you know, I didn't see any abilities hampered. You know, it sounded like, you know, when I first it heard it. It affected me. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, you guys ever seen the movie uh, Bonnie and Clyde um, with uh, Warren Beatty. Yeah. Um, at the end, Bonnie Clyde gets shot, and you can probably put it up on video. There were less bullets <laughs> fired on that scene than the reality that happened that day with the guy with the gunman that apparently shot at the police. And those were like, two people, like you said. Was, it was two people, yeah. So if you look go to that clip on the internet, look at Bonnie Clyde getting shot, and it lasted. Actually, it was shorter, to, and they were shooting two people. Mm-hmm. And Bonnie and Clyde, they were ruthless cr- criminals, by the way. They um, they killed police personally. They would. Um, they were just in cold blood. They broke into a prison and broke somebody out. They would rob bank banks and shoot people dead if they didn't do what they, they said. So they were just very violent uh, <laughs> murderers, you know. And um, they got less bullets than this guy. I don't think he killed anybody, but uh, well, of course he wasn't allowed to. And then when you look at it from the public safety aspect, um, you know, when you hear something like that, you know, of course, there's going to be an innocent bystander who's injured in the, in the in, you know, in the fire. And just the amount of shots that you hear coming from one particular side, um, you know, statistically, it's very likely that one of those shots fired by the officers, you know, likely, um, you know, injured that that lady. OK, so. <laughs> That might be friendly file. Yeah, yeah. my guess be friendly plot. Yeah. Let's play that one more time, then we we'll move on. Uh, j- just so people understand what we're trying, the magnitude of what we're trying to say. Oh my god! Oh my god! 
Okay. Okay. So, as as you can see, um, I don't I don't see where the police effectiveness is being, you know, handcuffed or it was pretty effective uh, shooting to me. Yeah. The guy was dead. I mean, he got it done. But I wonder if they've done that in Roland Park, right? You know what I'm saying? Or neighborhoods like that, you know? So, or or maybe even Fell's Point. Will they have done that? I don't I don't know. Just a couple blocks down. Just a couple blocks down. Yeah. So um, we got to be very careful. And the thing about it was the other the further down the article, they're dec- uh, crying about that article I read. They're crying about the consent decree. Now, <laughs> again, let me just dispel all this about the consent decree. What the consent decree demands of the police is to do const- what's called constitutional policing. In other words, you can still lock people up, but we don't expect you to execute them or to um, beat them upside the head when they when they're cuffed and they've been apprehended. Or, or beat them in private. We got we we forget that years ago they did an expose in the Sun had a couple hundred people with bruises and beatings um, from the police. So yeah, police brutality is real. People are just it's not a figment of people's imagination. It's a hickey on their head in a lot of cases. So don't think that because you know there's, I know a lot of people have been victims of it personally, and I've been a victim of police malfeasance. So I mean, uh, and I, I'm not going to detail maybe another show, but. But, um, yeah, the, the, all police aren't honest, but a lot of them are. You know, all police aren't crooks either. But the fact of the matter is there are good police and bad police. I believe, I want to believe that all of them, that most of them are good, okay? But um, the people in Baltimore, um, the theater police, they have good reason to do that, you know, because of their experiences, <laughs> and their experiences with the police. Now, um a lot of the big time drug dealers don't even live in the neighborhoods where they're selling dope. Most people know that 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 understand how this thing works because nobody wants to li- live in the neighborhood with people dealing dope, even a drug dealer. I mean, if you got enough money, the means to move out. So, but they, what they need, what they need is a neighborhood where people are terrified to call the police, a place where they can safely sell their wares that's run down, and um, where people are terrified to call the police. So actually, by the police, when they when they do engage in malfeasance, it makes it easier for the people they're supposed to be fighting against to do what they do. Okay? So there's a price to be paid for police corruption. And uh, there's a lot of corruption in, in, uh, back in the um, Prohibition times, uh, for instance. Um, that's why they had a, a group called the uh, the Untouchables back in the day because they couldn't be corrupted and that's why they call them the untouchables so um what we're going to do is um we want to talk about uh what's the uh the jeff sessions with the uh i can't even see the writing here uh was that the 
Um, Jeff Sessions won. Why the, uh, I can't choose to. Is that why I trickled down? No, 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 no. It's the uh, the Jeff Sessions thing on the police. On on uh, civilization. Uh, was it uh, why the super rich? No, are, no. Um, that's, uh, that's on economics. We're still talking about crime. Wealth inequality. Um, growing wealth inequality will destroy fundraising and politics. Um, it should be one near the prohibition turns murder into good business. Right, right. Uh, number forty. That's, that's so what I want to do is I want to go to number forty. And by the way, I recently read one of our department-funded studies that found that larger increases in drug-related homicides uh, than in any other type of homicide. So these related to drug uh, dealers is the highest, and that expansions in illicit drug markets contributed to the overall homicide rate they found. Expansions in illicit drug markets contributed to the overall homicide rate they found. No kidding. Can Jeff Sessions really not figure out why that is? Has he ever done a lick of research on the topic? I'll fill him in. It is our drug laws that caused the violence in the first place. When we ended prohibition of alcohol, we saw a big decrease in the murder rates. Even during the Great Depression, where there was obviously economic upheaval, you would typically find higher crime rates and possibly higher murder rates, but when we ended alcohol prohibition in the midst of the Great Depression, there was a significant decrease in the murder rate. If you're taking a look at the graph on your screen, boom, check out that ramp to the right. So it was the opposite of what you would have expected, which simply goes even further to prove my point. By keeping drugs or alcohol illegal, you are insisting that all the cartels and gangs inherit the entire market. If you made alcohol illegal today, you would begin to see the same things we saw in the late 1920s and 1930s in regards to alcohol, and the same thing we see today in regards to drugs, which was an increase in violent crime and murder rates. And why is this? Because the demand is still there. People want to use the substances they want to use, and there will always be someone there to supply that demand. It does not matter how many people you throw into cages, eventually that illegal profit will be taken advantage of, and it will most likely be grabbed by someone who does not mind killing someone else to get it, which is the complete opposite of what happens in the alcohol industry today, where you need to be a competitive business person, and killing your competition, in the literal sense, is no longer an effective business strategy. Okay, so... Um, what he's intimating is that, and uh, the post will tell you that when they take down a drug ring, the violence increases because you have new people trying to fight. Because there's always going to be 10 guys for every one guy you take out. There's always going to be 10 guys that want to take that opportunity, no matter how dangerous it is. So, and a lot of the, the, the violence is related to drug trade. Somebody was telling me, well, what about the little girl that got, got, that got uh, you know, caught in the crossfire? I said, that was the part. If you read the paper, on the second page, I don't know why I put it on the second page, because they said that the guy was accused of racketeering. They explained to you on the second page that it was a drug gang. It was drug racketeering. He sold cocaine and heroin and everything else. So, And he, he said himself he didn't mean to shoot her, which he still needs to go to jail. You know, I don't, you know, I, I have no pity for him. But he admitted himself, he said that he was just trying to, um, you know, represent his crew. They were they were um, trying to stop an incursion to their area by, by a rival drug gang. So actually, it was tied to drugs. I mean, I knew that the minute it happened. I said, once all the, everything comes out, which it did during the trial, you'll find out that. Because usually I'm about two years ahead of the average Negro anyway, my thinking. So 
Um, I knew that back then. So it bears out when the trial came out that it was connected to drugs. Um, okay, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to bring up Reverend Ray. Um, Reverend Really Ray. Let's, let's bring up Reverend Ray. Yes, good morning, Brother Tyrone. Let me congratulate you on your vision and mission to do the one church in one corner and one safety house and to purchase these houses for those who in need for housing. I'm glad to have you a part of the dream team for one church, one corner, one safety house. Uh, again, while I have you, I want to thank uh, Brother Michael Johnson for saluting Larry Young and the other salutes for the Billy Holiday Entertainment Zone festivity, which was a wonderful event weekend. It was peaceful and loving and neighborly, and thank God for the Nation of Islam for security. And I had an opportunity to be there over the weekend for the parade. But I want to talk to you about the one church, one corner, one safety house. We just talked about the eye in the sky and the high tech technology that we're using to try to cut down on violence and crime. Like Bill Gooden said, if we cut down on the supply of drugs and guns that's coming in our community through the inner harbor and other avenues, we wouldn't have to have another eye in the sky. Well, I just want well, to mention... Ray, if we stopped it from where it was coming from in the first place, it wouldn't make it to the streets. Right. That's what Bill Gooden was saying. And I'm saying, even with that, we have a church on every corner. I'm already started well, with New Shallow. They can be yeah. murders under the cameras. Yeah. And New Shallow, which I'm working with, Pastor Carol Carter Jr. and the Minister's Conference meet there at Shallow every Monday. We are starting a movement from the Minister's Conference that at every church dot the corner, every church open up a safety house, which is where you come in at to assist these pastors in how to utilize these vacant houses next door to the churches where we can get the mad Jack Young, he would donate these houses and turn them into a safety house to get these kids somewhere to go off the corner since they don't have rec centers or programs. Let the church have a partnership in their own community instead of just being okay. communal well, Ray, churches. We, ha- we, they we do have to a program. start right in our corner. Well, Ray, we have a program, and uh, it's, it's more specific, and we'll go over that later. But do you have any closing comments? No, I just want to thank you for coming past my safety house on on uh, on Harlem Avenue and showing me your skills in the plumbing field, which I appreciate what you've done for this safety house, 2858 on Harlem Avenue. And while I have you here, don't forget this Wednesday we have in all the churches in the Poplar Grove community, starting at St. Edward's Catholic Church, and we're going to march September the 4th, which is a Wednesday at 6 p.m. We're going to march all up and down Poplar Grove to Emerson Avenue, is the faith community, Coppin Heights Community Corporation and their clergy and the Rosemount Community Interfaith Coalition, as well as the ARCO and the St. Edward's We got other callers. Yeah, I just want to invite everybody right. to be there this, this Wednesday right. at 6 o'clock. Thank you, sir. Um, let's go to, to uh, Mike, Michael Douglas. Good morning. All right, sir. How's it going, Mike Douglas? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Yourself? I feel fantastic. If I felt any better, I'd pass out from excitement. Go ahead. Say again? If I felt any better, I would pass out from excitement. Oh, don't do that. I'm just calling in regards to a uh, walkathon that we're doing this coming weekend uh, on September the uh, 7th. And so uh, with the uh, recent scouting and the purpose of our walkathon, 
is to uh, advance our, you know, our stu- support our students going uh, back to school with books and other uh, supplies that they need for school. And what we're doing is we're having a display by Umar Boxing, and uh, also have a, a fencing master there uh, demonstrating uh, fencing skills. And I do also believe that we'll have also have uh, uh, some basketball players uh, showing some basketball techniques. Are you the and Are we, you the world champion, uh, Spencer? I mean, Fencer. Yes, I, yes, I am. Okay, I met you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> world champion, okay. Fencer. This guy. I'm the world champion, but yeah, I, I am. A this champion. guy's a bad dude. Now, if um, <laughs> Earl Flynn ain't got nothing on you, do he? Uh, yeah, he do. <laughs> <laughs> but he's dead, so you at least you're still above ground. Uh, I said he's dead, but at least you're still above ground. Yeah, Ain't I'm too still, many I'm, black folks can fence, you know, well, actually, unless you're talking actually, about... Uh, actually, they're more than you realize. Stolen property. I should put that. Go ahead. I go to a different, different, different countries like France or England. We're all over the place. we got a whole bunch here in the United States. Uh, we just don't get the airtime like the other athletes do. Right. We're, we're there. Right, I know. I know. I'm just being kidding. I'm just kidding. We're in every sport, really. And we dominate, oh, usually, when we're in these sports. Like, like, personally, I know at least five uh, world champion kickboxers. Okay, so oh, okay. we actually oh, dominate. Yeah, we actually dominate. Yeah. We and the boxer, and the boxing, the kickboxing, anywhere we, we compete, football, I mean, we, we just dominate, you know. Well, we, we, well, we started it, so we should... <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. I'm glad you were able to put that out. And we're going to move okay, on to anyway, uh, you know, anyway, you know, just want to first show up uh, and support our kids, you know, get them back absolutely. to school, uh, things that they need. And on that day, we had plan of having some food and music and entertainment. So we appreciate all the help we can get to get these kids off to a good start. Okay. All right. Thank, uh, thank you for calling in, sir. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, people will get the, um, the, the attention that it merits and uh, the participation that it merits. And thank you for your, your help in the community. Okay, so um, what we're going to do, we got one more announcement, and that's from Malon Butler. And uh, so let's bring Malon Butler up. Peace and blessings, everybody. How are you? All right, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for the invite to the show. Okay. So you have an announcement that you uh, wanted to put out. That's, main, that's mainly why we wanted to bring you up in regards well, following- to... We're following up. Uh, again, I see that the elder just came before me in terms of the walkathon. I did want to shout that out and shout out a couple of groups that have really helped us to bring this to life. We're going to have that fencing display right then and there under the pavilion. Uh, those people who are looking to try their hand and learn a technique. I've gotten one lesson from the Olympian myself, and it is not easy. <laughs> so we're bringing that out. Shout out to No Hooks Before Books, Omar Boxing, as well as Time to Grind Boxing. They also are going to be coming out to that walkathon and letting people participate, learning boxing lessons and techniques um, as a fundraiser to this education system that we have. And that's something that is big to me. We speak about crime. I know we had that talk earlier. Uh, Mr. Bose, I think with your involvement, we complete the triad because crime is centered around housing, lack of employment, and lack of education. Absolutely. I came in with a co-op. The co-op that I partnered with Roots of Scouting was to cover group economics, right? Roots of Scouting at itself was already governing education. So many mentors who have come in and dedicated and given their time to our youth. Being able to grow a scholarship fund for them is going to hopefully change the outlook because we can reward those youth who are out in the community learning what they need to survive. And you complete that triad with your housing. So I think the combination 
of that has a strong ability to impact Baltimore City in the next 15 to 20 years. Okay, so uh, you want to close, Brother Maylon, and then we're going to continue with the program. Yeah, no, just just everybody, please join us, Lake Montebello. We're getting uh, some alkaline waters. We're going to be speaking with you guys about the importance of health and nutrition, keeping the body healthy. I mean, as well, we just encourage everybody to come out, have a good time, learn more about what we're just guiding us off in the community. And that's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Lake Montebello. Okay, so that was Brother uh, Malon Butler, who's the vice president of the uh, Russo Scouting. And um, I, plenty to do here, Baltimore, if you want to participate. But right now, it being Labor Day, what we want to talk about right now is uh, how inherited wealth will become the main way to, to uh, have money in this country and how, how dangerous this type of thing is going to be to our democracy. And that'll be clipped on 31. So right now, and this is where Pickney has interesting things to say, but not this compelling vision about why America is so unequal right now. But looking forward, is he's telling us that the story is already changing and it's it's going to change more. So we are going to probably, unless something gets better, we're going to look back nostalgically on the early 21st century when you could still at least have the pretense that the wealthy actually earned their wealth. And, you know, by the year 2030, it'll all be inherited. And at the same time, we can't even manage to pay workers a minimum wage of $10.10. Yeah, and what's amazing, I thought actually one of the most depressing things, although enlightening in his book, is he talks about France in the years before World War I, which was ideologically as much a society committed to equality in principle as we are today, but in practice was totally dominated by very wealthy families where it was impossible to even raise the possibility of seriously taxing great wealth where it was very hard to do anything to improve the conditions of ordinary workers and it shows you how that can happen how you can have a society where even though the ideology is democratic even though we claim that all men are equal in practice not a chance isn't that what's happening now in this exactly country? exactly that's the point point. and what's funny is at the time americans used to say oh we should never allow ourselves to become like old europe and in fact we have Okay, so as you can see, and if, um, once upon a time, it was the, the um, strongly held belief, held belief that if people were wealthy, they worked for the money. And a lot of cases in America, it was a new society that was true. But now it's getting to the point where you have people like Donald Trump. He didn't, you know, he didn't uh, build the Trump fortune. His father did. Okay, and he's been lying about it as well. People don't understand that. He says we're worth $11 million. People forgot all about that. And uh, Forbes magazine says doubtful that he's worth one billion, and uh, he had bankrupted so many times that um, they had put him on uh, an allowance. They 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 want to keep his, his his name on the Trump Tower and and the Trump boat, the Trump plane, because that stuff was worth more money with his name on it. And they wanted to pay him a salary. I think it was four hundred thousand dollars a month to do that. So he was getting a salary from his creditors to 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 uh, keep his name on that those products which were they had to take from him but it's worth more with his name on it because people believe all the hype he was putting out so you know Donald Trump was never as rich as he um, uh, has made out to be that's why that's one of the main reasons why he don't want you to see his taxes because you'll realize that he's a very poor businessman they said that he was the worst businessman in the 90s because he lost like he lost billions of dollars during that decade so mm -hmm. so um and it's all write-offs, and that's why he was dealing with the Russians, because they, they were the only people that were lending him money. But we don't pay attention to small details, because the man had a good TV show, The Apprentice, and all that. And uh, we, we get all that stuff. So, um, 
Unfortunately, what's going to happen is he's going to ruin this economy. It's going to take a couple of years for us to figure this stuff out, but just as George Bush before him, and then it's going to take somebody a little bit smarter to straighten it all out again, as usual. So let's talk about how the growing uh, wealth inequality will destroy America, American democracy, and that would be um, number 33. Many in the 1% are paying a lower federal tax rate than a lot of people in the middle class. You will no doubt remember that an obliging Congress of both parties allows high rollers of finance the privilege of carried interest, a tax rate below that of their secretaries and clerks. And at state and local level, while the poorest 20% of Americans pay an average tax rate of over 11%, the richest 1% of the country pays half that rate. Now, neither nature nor nature's God drew up our tax code. That's the word of legislators, politicians, and it's one way they have, as Chief Justice John Roberts might put it, of expressing gratitude to their donors. Oh, Mr. Adelson, we so appreciate your generosity that we cut your estate taxes so you can give $8 billion as a tax-free payment to your heirs, even though down the road the public will have to put up $2.8 billion to compensate for the loss in tax revenue, all of which makes truly repugnant the argument heard so often from courtiers of the rich that inequality doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Inequality is what has turned Washington into a protection racket for the 1%. It buys all those goodies from government. Tax break, tax havens, allowing corporations and the rich to park their money in a no-tax zone. Loopholes, favors like carrot interest, and on and on and on. Listen, there's a big study coming out in the fall from Martin Gillens at Princeton and Benjamin Page at Northwestern based on data collected between 1981 and 2002. Their conclusion, quote, America's claims to being a democratic society are seriously threatened. The preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy. Sad that it's come to this. The drift toward oligarchy that Thomas Piketty describes in his formidable book has become a mad dash. And it will overrun us and overwhelm us unless we stop it. Unless we stop it. We can't, this stuff is unsustainable. And um, we can't go on with people making billions and trillions of dollars while other people are barely making it. There's there's plenty of jobs in our economy, but you got to have two or three jobs to make one job. That's the problem. You know, you got to get your Target job and your Walmart job. And uh, the wall, the people that own Walmart are billionaires beyond belief. But you got to have your um, Starbucks job, your Walmart job, and, your, and you're going to probably have one decent job by the time you add up all your salaries for the three jobs you're trying to work to keep up with the Joneses. And a lot of our, our lifestyles are are maintained by credit, including the credit of the United States government. I mean, the, the, the government budget that we pay for goods and services for the United States government is used, is used relies heavily on borrowed money. You know, every year. That's why they have deficits every year. So credit has allowed us to spend and buy things we can't really afford otherwise. And uh, the fact that we have two professionals in the home now, we've accepted that, that you need two professionals working. And nothing wrong with that. But you need that just to, to have a, a decent house, you know, and a nice area. You know, you got to have two professional people working now. Where at one time, it only took in the 50s and 60s, and, uh, you know, early 70s, it only took one professional uh, income to have a fairly decent uh, household. So the, mid- the middle class is actually losing ground and it's decreasing. And pretty soon what we're going to have is rich people and poor people because <sighs> rich people can buy their way through the tax code 
and through um, and you know just 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 um, owning politicians outright by both sides of the aisle. So let's 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 figure out if uh, if uh, trickle down economics uh, works because we've been taught for the longest time that if you give money to rich people, they're gonna make a job. So let's find out if trickle down economics work. My name is Evan Kirkpatrick. I'm the founder and CEO of Wendell Charles Financial and a contributor to Forbes. And the truth about trickle-down economics is it doesn't work. Trickle-down economics is the idea that uh, cutting tax rates for the wealthiest individuals and businesses as well as capital gains tax results in a higher economic output. But they're not spending. They're either saving, they're investing, which is, that's good, but it's not directly benefiting the middle class and the lowest income individuals individuals like we thought it would. The data is showing that not only is the gap widening between the rich and the poor, but that it's happening at a very accelerated rate. This just isn't good for society. You know, after analyzing the relationship between tax rates and economic growth since 1945, there's no correlation between lowering tax brackets and increased economic activity. If you give wealthy people a tax break, they're still only spending 30% of the income that they're bringing in. If you give working class people money, they're spending 98%, and poor people are spending 100%. So what we really need is the poor and middle class to have more money in their pockets because that's what's driving the economy forward. I'm Evan Kirkpatrick, and the truth is trickle-down economics don't work. And the truth is trickle-down economics don't work. And uh, matter of fact, the guy that invented it said that it didn't work. And, um, you know, because as they, as they stated, if you... Let's, let's take, for instance, the tax cut that, that Donald Trump gave to the rich people. The idea was that they're going to create a job. Ain't a rich, the, the rich people's job is not to create a job for you. They're going to uh, what they're going to do with that money. Well, what they did with the money is the CEOs invested at those tax breaks back through stocks for their company and paid themselves bonuses. That's what they did. They didn't create a job with it. Rich people only create a job when there's a need for a job. You know, if there's no need for it, you know. So you know, there, there's no need for it. What do you think about that, Zach? Um, I think that you know when you when you take a look at what they're able to do when it comes to manipulating uh, tax codes and the uh, laws. Um, you get into a situation where its history repeats itself all over again. So when you look at the uh, housing crisis of 2008 and uh, what they were able to do manipulating the mortgages and everything, and now you look at what's happening now um, where they're getting these tax breaks and uh, we still have continued issues in housing, even though, um, you, you know, the the recession has ended um you know they, they the economic the economists predict that there's another one you know that may be looming and there you know may be another housing crisis and that's why these issues are so important. Well, it was a housing crisis. You made a good point that actually um, caused the crash right. in 2008, and uh, nobody was punished for it. So they're not even they are not even um, uh, susceptible to uh, being punished for malfeasance when they commit you know financial crimes because it, uh, in a lot of cases. They're uh, too big to fail. So, and uh, in fact, they actually, you know, get to be bailed out and, and pay themselves bonuses, like you said, and then get a tax break afterwards. Uh, so it's like they get rewarded over and over again for bad behavior, whereas the average person um, who, you know, would exhibit such behaviors, uh, you know, you doesn't get that same treatment. You go to jail. Yeah. So let's talk about why the, the super rich are against good government. So good government for them is a problem. 
You know, and, and that's this is why the two. This is why it, <clears throat> it's dangerous to democracy. Thirty-six. Why this decoupling of the protected, the protected few versus the many, and the decoupling has them essentially disregarding the, co- the commons, the yeah. public interest in the commons in a way, where they go from private gated communities to private cars to private elevators to private offices to private homes to private helicopters, and they ha- the, even the visibility of what's happening in America. But it shows how um, this decoupling has happened in a way that you would think a meritocracy would not, because if you pulled yourself up from the bootstraps, you would think you would remember where you came from. And in fact, what happens is this mindset... You don't have any reminders. Well, well you, don't, you don't see anybody. And you also have this arrogance born from, well, I did this all by myself. Yeah. And much yet, better narrative. Right, it's a much better self-justification to ignore the commons. But in fact, if you look at what happened in the sweep of history, they have as much at stake as everybody else in the country. And so what they are doing, in effect, while protecting themselves, building their moats, paying their army of lawyers and lobbyists to get Ben Washington to their will, is they're actually undermining the very foundation of their wealth and their status uh, and their the position. They're short-term thinkers. Right. And, you know, people, they only think about the short-term. And in the short-term, they're doing well. And they, they not only don't they need government the way mm. uh, the rest of us do. I mean, you know, we need to have nice airports. They don't fly in and out of our airports. We need mass transit. We need, you know, good, uh, you know, K-12 to uh, schools. They can go to private schools. Uh, we need, you know, decent, you know, health insurance. They don't worry about the cost of that stuff. But not only that they need government, but government is typically a threat to them. It's, it, it takes away their winnings if they enforce antitrust laws or labor laws or job safety laws or have a fair tax code. They're the victims of good government. Okay, so as we, as we, as we see the... Their interest is not to have good government because good government means that they're brought into control and treated as uh, equals in, in democracy. So in our program, what we want to do, for instance, I'm just give you a, a visual. In our program, what we want to do is we want to um, take some of these vacant houses. Uh, uh, we want to give out loans to the individual citizen, uh, renovation loans. So we figure because $100,000 to renovate the house, if you buy it for a dollar, then at 1% interest, you'll have a $300 month mortgage. Now, let's take what... Now, we had a thousand people on a petition that wanted to do this, and it's still they're still thinking about it. We had one gentleman, uh, Kevin Plank, come to town. He got $650 million tip without even, you know, pretty much, you know, he didn't beg for it. He got it. They threw it at his feet, basically. And by the time you had the state and local, you talk about $1.1 billion that he got for... Um, the state, federal, local total one point one billion dollars, probably a little more, that he got. When you talk about road improvements and all that, that he got for his project. Now, with one point one billion dollars, we could have did about ten thousand houses with our program. Okay, right. and so as the guy indicated in that clip we played, where rich people get money, they spend thirty percent of it. You know, if you distribute money to rich people, they get thirty percent of it. When uh, poor people or working class people get money, they spend ninety eight percent of it. And when poor people get it, they spend 100% of it. So if you really want to distribute wealth and make it work, then you want the middle class to have the bulk of the money, not the other way around, not the top 1%, having all the new wealth created since 2008. That's ridiculous. And there's no justification for it. Nobody's worked that hard to justify having that type of money. 
And there's a lot of nonsense about pull yourself up on your own uh, bootstraps, but nobody's done that. That idiot, Clarence Thomas said he pulled he pulls up of his own bootstraps. But like me, he's had help all along the way. I'm a businessman, but that type of uh, unfettered capitalism is an enemy to small businesses. Let's bring Gene up. Gene? Yeah, hi, Tyrone. How you doing, guest? Yeah, I just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. I had to make a comment on that. In the black community, if you are, I would say, 50 to my age, 70 to 75 years old, and this, like, includes me. Affirmative but, action. Okay, <laughs> affirmative action. Thank yep. you, Tyrone. Affirmative action. And so when we hear our politicians who, since 19, let's say 1971, which is a good benchmark, from 1971 to, to, to present, and, you know, in, it's uh, Kurt Smoke, Kwasi uh, Mfume, uh, all black leaders in the black community did not pull themselves up by their bootstrap. Now, after we got the jobs, because it, it, it benefited me, after we got the jobs, then you had to compete. And if you couldn't hang, they got rid of you. They got rid of yeah. Yeah, so... Ferdinand yeah. didn't say, you you got to have a job. It says, give me the opportunity to compete. Opportunity. Yeah. Open up the door. Four, and I'll do the rest. <laughs> James yeah. Brown. Yeah, God bless you, God. Keep up the good work, Tyrone. Yeah, thank so, you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Gene. So, yeah, affirmative action. And by the way, Clarence Thomas is no comparison to Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall this is an insult to have him follow Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall tried and won several cases before the Supreme Court involving our rights. And uh, uh, Clarence Thomas never ran any case past the Supreme Court, never, never did any such thing. As a matter of fact, he voted against anything that came before the court that dealt with our freedom or anybody's freedom. He voted against it. Uh, affirmative action, equal rights, anything, for anything, he voted against it. So people like that um, who think they did it all on their own are a disgrace to black people. And we got to be real careful. People. Once you get to where you are, let's try to make it bring somebody else along. And the more wins we have in this country, the better off we are. Zach, you want to say something? Yeah, we have to understand that this is our country, too. And just because, you know, we might not have the money to influence government, you know, we deserve to live a good life and have decent housing. And, um, you know, BaltimoreForHomes.com, BaltimoreNumberFourHomes.com is the website to go to to get involved with the program. And uh, any previous episodes of the show, call TyroneShow.com. Thank you so much. And like we said, the, the uh, Homes Program, Homeownership Opportunity Mentorship, for Economic Success would go a lot more to su- actually support people in our communities like Santan, Winchester. That's right. And uh, and you got people getting deals to do jobs in Baltimore that don't even live in the state of Maryland. And they won't even look at our program, which will actually help the people that live here with jobs, jobs training, and home ownership opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have. So let's keep up the fight, people. Let's not give up because a builder has a lot of money, but he only has one vote. So let's understand our strength. And I thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you again next week for another exciting edition of the Paul Tyrone Show. Thank you for your time.
WOLB Baltimore and WERQ-FM HD3 Baltimore.